No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're in a series called The Heart of Jeremiah, and here's where we've been in that series. Week one, we talked about a heart that strayed. Here's the deal. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a young prophet, and he was prophesying and warning the people of Judah because their heart had turned away from God. And he was warning them, saying, come on, guys, if you don't turn your hearts back to God, bad things are going to happen. And that bad thing was exile into Babylon. The, the, the Babylonians would come and basically conquer Jerusalem and send Judah off into captivity. And then the second week, we talked about how God's heart for his people was very much like, but I don't want that to happen. If you would just repent, if you would just turn back, I don't want to exile you. I don't want to send you to Babylon. I want you to stay here. I want you to be my people. And then last week, Ryan talked about a heart of redemption, that ultimately God's heart is always a heart of redemption. He always wants to bring us back. And Ryan talked about the best movies, the best stories, our favorite stories, our stories of redemption. Our favorite movies are movies of redemption, and and that's because there's echoes in that story of the ultimate story, of the gospel story. And because in our favorite stories, our favorite movies, we hear bits and pieces of, of the true gospel, right? And so we love those movies. And this is God's heart. God's heart is for redemption. So wherever we are, He always is that father that will come running to us with arms open wide, calling us back to himself. No matter what, guys, no matter where you are this morning, that's his heart. But he does more than just call us back to him. He actually gives us a promise of a brand new heart. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, living out of a new heart. Now, the the prophecy where Jeremiah speaks the word of the Lord and talks about this. I think it's one of the best in the entire Old Testament. It it, it prophesies of the coming gospel. It prophesies of of what Jesus would accomplish when he came. He died on the cross, rose again, sent his Holy Spirit. This is the ultimate one. This is like one of my favorites, all right? This This is the prophecy where Jeremiah is speaking the word of the Lord, and he's saying, guys, you have no idea what's coming. And apparently I don't either. Okay, there we go. Stay with me, projector. Okay, here's what Jeremiah 31 says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now, notice the language in there. He says, look, I established a covenant, which to God was like a marriage relationship. I married Israel. They were my bride, and yet they broke the covenant. In other words, they they cheated on me with these foreign gods. And not only did they cheat on me, but they actually asked for a divorce. And God didn't want to give them a divorce. But ultimately, it's what they kept asking for. And so God said, okay, fine. You want to move out? You can move out to Babylon. You want to divorce me? Okay, I'll give you the certificate of divorce. But God wasn't done with his people. He said, that was our first marriage, Israel. But when I call you back, I'm going to remarry you. And in this second marriage, we're going to have brand new wedding vows. And actually, my sister-in-law did exactly that. I don't know if you know anyone that's done this, but my my wife's sister, um, she and her husband got married. They were very young. They had a rocky start. And... um, then they were separated, and then ultimately they filed for divorce, and they, they, they got a divorce. 
But what was interesting is in the middle of signing their divorce papers, they were working on their marriage. They decided to reconcile. And the best way they knew how to reconcile was to finalize the divorce. And what they were saying in that is, look, we're going to put this thing to death, this first marriage, and we're going to get remarried, and we're going to start over. And they actually had a second wedding. And this is exactly what God does with his people. He says, look, I'm going to start over. I'm going to give you that certificate of divorce. But look, when I call you back, we're going to get married again. We're going to have a brand new wedding. This is going to be a brand new relationship that I have with my people. It's going to be nothing like the old relationship. It's going to be a new covenant. Have you ever wondered why the, the, the Hebrew scriptures are called the Old Testament and, and the scriptures that talk about Jesus and, and the early church is called the New Testament? You ever wonder why that is? Well, about the second century, they came up with that language, and it's because what they're trying to describe is that's the old relationship that the people of God had with God. That's the old covenant. That's the old marriage. That's the first marriage. This is the second marriage. This is the new covenant. This is the New Testament. So Jeremiah goes on to describe what this new covenant is going to be like. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. He goes, it's going to be brand new. It's not just that the law will be written on these stone tablets or written in scrolls that you can find in the temple. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to actually write my law on their hearts and minds. It's going to be like nothing you've ever seen before. He goes on to say, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, in that old covenant, prophets had a special relationship with the Lord where they could hear from the Lord, but the common person couldn't. Kings had special anointing from the Lord. Priests had special intimacy. They, only the priests could go into the temple and get that close to God. But he goes, you know, in this new covenant, from the least to the greatest, they will all be able to come that close to me. Think about that. Imagine living in a time where only if you were a prophet, priest, or king could you really get that intimate with God. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to make it so that everyone can get as close to me as a prophet, priest, and king. It's mind-boggling. And then he finally says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So this gives us three attributes, three characteristics of this new covenant, okay? These new marriage vows. The first one, internal law, right? Inner transformation of the heart and mind. God says, no longer am I going to give you a list of rules that you're going to try to, to, try to follow externally. What I'm going to do is actually transform your heart and your mind. Secondly, intimacy for all. Everybody has access to the Lord. Anybody that wants it, can hear from the Lord. Anybody that wants it can have that proximity to the Lord. In this new covenant, it's going to be different. And third, forgiveness of sin. Now remember, in the Old, Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the most holy place, and he would atone for everyone's sin. But he had to go back year after year after year. In other words, forgiveness was given, but it was kind of just postponed to the next year. It was sort of like, I'm not going to... Uh, Punish you for your sin, I'm just going to basically delay it to the next year. And then the high priest had to go in again and make more sacrifices. And then he had to make more sacrifices and more sacrifices. And year after year after year, he was delaying the penalty of sin. And God says, no, no, in this new covenant, it's not going to be like that. In fact, not only am I going to forgive your sin, I'm going to forget your sin. 
So you're not going to have to go back with animal sacrifices year after year after year. I'm actually going to wipe it clean in a way that I don't even remember your sin. This is the new covenant he's making with his people. You know, Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah. He was also a prophet. And Ezekiel was one of the prophets that was exiled into Babylon. And while Ezekiel is in Babylon, he has some visions. And he gets a word of the Lord about this new covenant. And here's what God says through Ezekiel. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah talked a lot about that. In other words, he's saying your hard, stubborn heart, your rebellious heart, I'm gonna replace that with a tender heart a heart that's softened towards the Lord. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, you're not gonna be on your own trying to follow the law. What I'm gonna do is actually put my spirit, the spirit of God dwelling in you to guide you into living the way God calls you to live. That's a profound promise. Not only am I gonna give you a new heart, I'm actually gonna give you my spirit. In the Old Testament, the only people that had the Spirit, they had the Spirit come upon them. And again, it was like prophets and kings. That was pretty much it. Sometimes priests. And the Spirit would come upon them. And, that's, and, and no one else had that. He says, no, no, no. For all of my people, I'm going to put my Spirit in them. This is a brand new covenant. So a couple more characteristics of this new covenant is God's Spirit will be in us. The Holy Spirit will soften and change our heart from the inside out. And lastly, there's inside-out obedience. God will change our motivations, our desires, and our will. Inside-out obedience is a little different than outside-in obedience. Um, Some of you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Outside-in obedience, when you're trying to follow the laws, it feels like you're flexing a muscle. Have you guys ever been through that? Like you're trying to do the right thing, but doing the right thing feels like you're flexing a muscle and you can only hold it for so long. And then you just feel like, okay, I can't do that anymore. Even though you know it's the right thing. That's outside in obedience. That's following the law. Inside out obedience is the promise of this new covenant. And it means God will actually change our desires so that we desire what he desires. In other words, obedience won't feel like flexing a muscle anymore. You'll want to obey. This is the new covenant. Now, when Ezekiel and Jeremiah talked about this, they talked about it 500 plus years before it actually happened. Let that sink in, guys. This country isn't even 500 years old. Like the whole country, right? Anyone know history? Yeah, we're not, we're not 500 years old, by the way. If you didn't know that, there you go. As a whole country. 500 years. I don't know about you, but I'm just like, I feel like I've been the most patient person in the world if I wait on God for like a year. Oh, God, I've been suffering for a year waiting on you. Ten years? Are you kidding me? I'm a saint. I, I, I deserve a plaque somewhere. God, you promised this, and I've been waiting ten years. I'm basically Elijah now. I am because I waited a decade. Guys, 500 years. They were given the promise, hey, there's going to be this brand new relationship, this brand new marriage. Now wait for it. Okay. You know, they're sitting there texting like, what in the world? 500 years. And they wait and they wait 
and they wait, and they come back from captivity, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they think, is this the time? Nope. Is this the time? Nope, still not the time. Oh, we're free from Babylon. Oh, here comes Persia. Oh, we're free from Persia. Oh, here come the Greeks. Yay, we're free from the Greeks. Oh, Rome. Now we're under Rome. They waited forever for this promise to come about. And what you and I get to experience on a daily basis is something they waited forever for. Think about it. The last 2,000 years since Christ, since he came to earth, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, sent the Holy Spirit. We've been living 2,000 years in the fulfillment of that promise of brand new relationship, new covenant, new heart, spirit dwelling in us. It's amazing, guys. Think about it. You were born in a time in the fulfillment of that promise. You didn't have to wait for it. It was already here when you were born. All you had to do is step into it. But it was already here. That promise fulfilled. Jesus tries to let this sink into his own disciples. He's like, you guys have no idea like, how blessed you are. He's looking at his own disciples. He's like, you guys have no idea. And he says this in Matthew 13. He says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Do you realize that faithful people in the Old Testament waited and prayed and longed for the day that you live in right now and never saw it? Do you know that all those faithful people in the Old Testament never got to experience what it is to have the Holy Spirit dwell in them? Never got to experience what it is to have a brand new heart from the inside out? They didn't get to experience that. And you and I have been handed this reality, this new covenant, this new relationship with God. How often we don't realize how amazing that is. Hebrews talks about the same thing. In Hebrews 11, there's this long list of faithful people in the Old Testament, people that lived by faith. And then the writer of Hebrews says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They knew something new and amazing was going to be one day, but they never saw it. And then he goes on to say, in verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised since God had planned something better for us, that's you and me. And in the last 2,000 years, we have been living in the better. This new covenant, this new relationship. We are the recipients of a second marriage, a brand new marriage with new marriage vows. It's amazing. So how do we get this new heart? How do we live out of a new heart? How does this actually happen in our lives? Well, you know I'm either going to bring a map or a chart, right? So I brought... Today, charts instead of maps. I hope that's okay. This is you. You were created in the image of God. God is spirit. You know what that means? You have a spirit. You've always had a spirit. It's yours. That's the very core of who you are, is your spirit. Now, around your spirit, we call it the soul, is your mind, will, and emotions. What you think, what you feel, the decisions you make, your will, that's, that's the, what comprise what we call the soul. And it's the connecting piece between your spirit and your body. Your body is where you live out life, right? This is where your actions happen. This is also where cravings happen. 
This is you. Just like God is three in one, you're three in one. You were created in his image. You're spirit, soul, and body. And then, when we give our life to Jesus, something new happens. This is every human being on the planet right here. But you become something different when you surrender to Jesus. When you say, Jesus, you are Lord, I give you my life. I'm not going to live my life my way. I'm going to live it your way. I surrender to you. I believe you are who you say you are. Come and take over. Then something new happens, and it's that the Holy Spirit then comes to dwell in your spirit. This is the new covenant reality. This is what Jeremiah was talking about. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. In other words, your spirit and the Holy Spirit become united, become like they're one. In marriage, they're two individuals, right? But the Bible says that when people get married, the two become one. It doesn't mean they give up their individuality. They're still two people, and yet they become this one. There's this oneness to them. The same thing happens to your spirit and the Holy Spirit, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, this is already true of you. The Holy Spirit has united to your spirit, and you are something that the world has never seen. You're not just a human being anymore. Romans 8.16 says the Spirit himself testifies with, or some translations say to our spirit, that we are God's children. When this unity happens between the Holy Spirit and our spirit, when we give our life to Jesus, we can tell something has happened. Some people call it uh, the inner witness of the Spirit. And you're like, well, how do you know that you, 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 how do you know you're saved? How do you know you've given your life to Jesus? Well, a lot of people answer that like, I don't know how to describe it. I just know that I know that I know. It's an inner witness of the Spirit. The Spirit has testified to my spirit. There's this unity that's happened in here. I know I'm changed. Now, my actions may not have totally changed, and my life may look very similar at first, but something deep in me has changed. You've actually become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. See, there was a first creation, and there's a second creation, just like there's an old covenant and a new covenant. And the second creation, Revelation says, there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. But God started early, and he started in you, and what happened in your spirit is the very beginning of this brand new creation. He created something new. You're brand new. You're not just a normal human being anymore. I'm sorry if you wanted to be normal. You're not. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are supernatural. You You are a temple of the Holy Spirit now. You're a new creation, brand new on the inside. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. So we're walking temples of the Holy Spirit. And do you remember the temple? It had three parts to it. Isn't that interesting? The most holy place is where God dwelled. The room outside of that was the holy place, and the outer court was beyond that. And that's you. In your spirit is the most holy place. Your soul is the holy place and your body is the outer court. And if you don't remember the temple in the Old Testament, this is what it looked like. You're welcome for pictures. The outer court is where the priests did the sacrifices. Remember what Romans 12.1 says. It says, offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. That's what your body is. It's out there in the outer court. We're supposed to be living sacrifices. And then you step into this 
inner court area, which is called the holy place, and only the priests were allowed in there, and it was covered in gold. Do you know what's in there? The bread of presence in there, which represents Jesus, but the altar of incense is in there, and that's where prayers were floating up to God. Where do you pray? Do you pray in your mind? Do you pray in your heart? This is where prayer happens, in your soul. And notice that there's these lampstands. There was 10 lampstands in there. And when, it, when the sun went down, there was no light in there except for the lampstands. And I want you to picture this in your mind's eye. There's these huge, what we would call menorahs, basically. 10 huge menorahs on one side, ten, or five huge menorahs on one side, and, and on the other, 10 total. And the whole place, imagine this is plated in gold. And imagine those things are lit. What does it look like in that room? It's just glowing. Right? The light is bouncing off in this gold glow. That's what was meant for your soul. That light for your mind, for your heart. And then we enter the most holy place. Beyond the curtain, there's a big curtain here. And in the most holy place is where the very presence of God is. That's your spirit. One with the Holy Spirit. God's new temple dwelling there. So this is us, temples of the Holy Spirit. So how do we get this new heart? If that's true, when we give our life to Jesus, how do we actually get a new heart? This is what Scripture says. Romans 2.28 says, A person is not a Jew. In other words, a person is not a member of the covenant, a part of the family of God, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. In other words, circumcision used to be the sign that you were a part of God's family, the old covenant. And Paul is saying, in the new covenant, it's different. No, a person is a Jew, a member of the covenant, who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. So who does the circumcision of the heart? Who does the replacement of that heart of stone into a heart of flesh that's softened to the Lord? Who does that work? It's the Holy Spirit in you that does that work. So here's what that looks like. Right now, your spirit, unified with the Holy Spirit. And then, he doesn't want to stay put. He doesn't want to just hang out in your spirit. He wants every part of your life. And so our heart is made new when we allow this to happen. The Spirit begins invading every room of our house. He begins taking over our thoughts and our feelings and our will as we surrender to Him. He begins invading every part of us, even out to our bodies. So our cravings are different. Our actions are different. The Holy Spirit begins to take over from the inside out, not by the written code. Remember, if we're trying to live by rules, that's an outside-in reality, and it doesn't go very deep. It might be able to change my actions, but when I'm just trying to follow the rules, it doesn't change my heart. It just changes my actions. It doesn't change my thinking. But if I'm inside out, if I allow the Holy Spirit to transform me inside out, suddenly I am different on the inside. My heart is made new. And I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember in Genesis 1, in the first creation, there was darkness, and God said, let there be light. And what Paul is saying here is God does that same thing with the second creation in our hearts. He sees darkness in us, but he goes, let there be light in our heart, in our soul, in our mind. 
For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That light, that Holy Spirit in us is like a burning, raging fusion, nuclear fusion reactor. It's like the sun, a ball of fire, ball of energy, ball of light. And listen, guys, it doesn't want to stay there. It wants to break out. That light wants to invade every part of our life, every part of our heart, every part of our mind, every part of our actions, every part of our will. You remember the curtain that was in front of the most holy place, separate the holy place? That curtain was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross. God ripped the curtain in the temple so that we could approach him and so that his spirit could dwell within us. In other words, there was, this, there was this curtain there, and when Jesus died, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom in two, and God was saying, I don't want to be separated from you anymore. I'm going to let you into the most holy place. But I don't think he was just saying, you guys can come in. I think he was also saying, I want out. I don't want to stay in this little most holy place anymore. I am busting out. I want to go into the holy place, into the outer courts. And he's saying the same of our lives. Now, we must be willing to rip up the curtains that hide his light from invading all the parts of our life. See, the Holy Spirit is in that most holy place of your spirit, and he wants to invade every part with his light. But here's the deal. Because of woundedness, because of hurt, because of experience, we put up these curtains. And we say to the Holy Spirit, sure, you can shine your light on this part of my life, but not this part. This one's mine. I'm going to keep a curtain around it, and it stays in darkness. And God's saying, look, Jesus died on the cross to rip that curtain. We got to take those curtains down. The light is already in you. It's already there. The Holy Spirit is already there wanting to break out. But you have to rip that curtain that is keeping that part of your life in darkness. Are you hearing me on this? How do we rip the curtain? Well, Jesus ripped the curtain through full surrender to the Father. That's how it was ripped. Jesus stretched out his arms and said, it is finished. He gave everything. He gave his life, full surrender to the Father. And if if there's a curtain in your life that's allowing a part of your life to stay in darkness, where the Holy Spirit can't invade his light into that because you still have a curtain up, then listen, to get that curtain down, it's going to take full surrender. It's going to take you saying, God, you can have this part of my life. It's yours. I'm not going to try to control it anymore. I give it to you. That's how those curtains come down. That's how the light gets in, is full surrender. So as we wrap up here, I just want to give you three, three quick evidences of a new heart. How do you know if you've allowed the Holy Spirit to invade your soul to the point where you have been given a new heart? How do you know? What are some evidence that you have a new heart, that you're living out of a new heart? Let me give you three. Number one, our words change. You're going to start talking differently than you used to. Jeremiah, he said, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word in my heart is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Listen, when you surrender your heart to the Lord and he begins to shine his light in your heart and give you a new heart, here's one of the consequences. I just want you to be ready for this. You will be on fire to speak his truth. 
His word will be in your heart and it will just come like a fire coming out of you. You will want to speak truth. You will want to speak encouragement. You'll see people that you saw the worst in, you'll start seeing the best in them and you'll want to speak his truth over their life. And it's going to come at, it's going to come like a fire and it will be weary to try to hold it in. I promise. It's, it's, it's weary because the Holy Spirit wants to bust out through your words. Here's how Luke says it. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Do you want to know what your heart is full of? Pay attention to the words that come out of your mouth. Are you speaking negatively? Are you condemning people? Are you slandering people? Are you gossiping about people? Are you speaking harsh words? Because if that's what's flowing out of your mouth, then you know what's in your heart. But if you're encouraging, if you're affirming, if you're building people up, then you know something different is in your heart. Paul says in Ephesians 5.4, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now listen, I'm not talking about expletives, right? I, can I just give you a confession here? I'm so tired of people going, so is it okay to use an expletive now and again that's Placed really well. <laughs> so my answer is, if you're asking that question, you've missed the point. Look what he contrasts obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking with. Thanksgiving. That's the contrast. He doesn't contrast it with polite talk. He contrasts it with thanksgiving. In other words, is your sarcasm biting and mean and harsh, right? Or is there thanksgiving flowing out of your mouth? All right, moving on. Number two, our thoughts change. Not only do your words change, but the way you start thinking change. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When, when we surrender our soul to the Lord, when we surrender to the Holy Spirit's light invading our mind, we begin to think differently than the world, our mind gets transformed. We actually dwell on different things. Listen, when you're in that elevator standing next to that person awkwardly, what's on your mind changes. When you're in the car driving in traffic, what's on your mind in that moment changes if you've surrendered to the Holy Spirit. You just start thinking about different things. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, here's what you start thinking about. You start thinking about things of the kingdom, not things of the world. It's described like this in Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's a good list if you're wondering. There it is. These are the things that begin to occupy our mind. Now, if your mind is occupied by other things, then you've you got to start asking, have I really surrendered to the light of the Holy Spirit invading my thoughts, invading my heart? Number three, our desires change. Colossians 3, 1 says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts. Don't just set your mind on things above, but actually set your heart's desires on the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In Paul in Ephesians, he contrasts where our desires used to be and now where they are in Christ. Here's what he says. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, this is who you used to be. You used to be just like the rest of the world and you used to follow the ways of the enemy. Those two things. You used to be just like everybody else and you used to follow the enemy and all of his lies and deceit. And then he goes on to say, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. He's like, hey, I've been there, guys. I know that feeling of following those cravings, following those desires. I get it. But notice what he says here. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, in other words, God forgot about all that junk. And made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. He made us alive inside. He changed our desires. He brought life to our desires. So we're not desiring the things of the world anymore. When we surrender to the Holy Spirit and and that invading light that's inside, what happens is not that we want to sin and then fight it. What happens is we don't want to sin anymore. We just don't want to anymore. You just get to a point of full surrender where you're just like, man, I just don't want that anymore. I don't, it just, and it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I don't want to date that kind of person anymore. I'm done with that. I did that. I'm done with that. I don't want to do that action anymore. I don't want to get involved in that addiction anymore. I don't want to be a part of that thing anymore. I don't want to look at that stuff on the computer anymore. I just don't have a desire for it anymore. That's the transformation of the heart. The desires change. And listen, when your words, thoughts, and desires change, your actions will automatically change. You won't have to try to think about changing your actions. You will find that they have changed already because you're living out of a new heart. And it's not because of legalism or religiosity, but because you are living out of a brand new place inside of you that's been transformed. So it won't feel like flexing a muscle It will feel like the most natural thing in the world to not watch that channel on that show, to not drink this, eat that, talk to that person that way. That way will feel the most natural thing in the world to do what God has called you to do because you're living out of a new heart. Now, I understand that that feels very lofty. But what I want to communicate this morning is that is what is available to you and to me in this new covenant. That was the promise God made. Here's what's available to you. This is what I offer you. I paid a very high price on the cross, and it wasn't so you could follow the rules. It was so that you could have a new heart. So the worship leader is going to come back up here, and we just have a couple questions to close us out. The first question is this. Are you living in the new covenant or in the old covenant? If you were ever given the impression that Christianity is following a bunch of rules, then let me apologize because that's not what the gospel is. That's the old covenant. The new covenant is the spirit of God will dwell in you and transform you from the inside out to where your very desires change. That that is the gospel. It's something Jesus did, not something we do. It's something we simply surrender to. Second question, are you living out of a new heart? In other words, are parts of your life still veiled? Do you feel like when I was talking about those veils, do you feel like there's an aspect, a room in your house, a part of your life where 
you feel the Holy Spirit shining in all these different areas of your life, but you know there's this one area that just still feels like, you know, that curtain is still there. And I want to invite you this morning, if that's true, then just allow God to rip that curtain. And the way that happens is through surrender this morning. Just hand that part of your life to him and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do when it comes to this part of my life. And finally, have you surrendered to the Holy Spirit? What are your words speaking? What are your thoughts What is your mind dwelling on? What are your desires? These give you clues as to what's happening in your heart. Right? Have you surrendered that to the Lord? Let's pray. As always, if you have any questions, you can text this number. We'll try to answer those at the end. Father, we're grateful that we get to live in the new covenant. We're grateful that you started a brand new marriage with your people, a brand new relationship, and that we were born in a time when we have access to the new covenant. What a ridiculous notion, God, that your spirit would come to live in us. So broken, so unholy, so full of sin and selfishness, God. But that was your promise. So we say yes to you, God. We delight the idea that you would come to dwell in us and transform us from the inside out. God, we ask you to do that. Father, I ask personally if there's any part of my life that's still veiled, that's still behind the curtain, I don't want that anymore. God, would you rip up those curtains? Holy Spirit, would you show me what it is to surrender that part of my life to you? I invite your light to come into our hearts even now, that your light would come and begin to expose, begin to heal, begin to bring life to the dead places inside of us, God. We want new hearts. We want new hearts. So God, we surrender to you this morning. In Jesus' name.